You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Well, friends, we are starting a new series this morning that will carry on for the rest of the month, the rest of November. Um, The question is, why do we church? Specifically, why, why do we gather like this every week? Uh, and before I go any further, I just want to say thanks to Sherilyn, I think that's John, and Paul. Uh, even though they had no idea they were doing it, they volunteered to be the graphic for this week's, or for this series. So I appreciate your willingness. Um, I'm pretty sure that's you, right, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, you were on your phone. I mean, I did notice that. I don't want to say anything. I did notice you were on your phone. That's okay. I'm pretty sure you're reading a scripture, though, so it's okay. <laughs> we'll talk later. Um, so this week, as I was uh, preparing for this series, I uh, was thinking about how was I going to approach this topic? Um, because, you know, I recognize that discussing going to church is actually a bit of a fairly sensitive topic to discuss. Oh, I, by the way, have a clicker. Um, uh, a, a sensitive topic to discuss. And, um, and it's easy for me because I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm the guy who gets paid to be here week after week. Uh, but, you know, so I, I have a bit of a bias as to why I think people should come to church. Um, so I, I fully realize that in... Um, there are maybe those in this room who, uh, or maybe those who are listening to the podcast later on, who are feeling a little bit sheepish just in even seeing this question, why do we go to church? Why do we do this? And so this, this week I was kind of racking my brain. Uh, how, like, what angle am I going to take as I discuss this with this community? And um, how many of you are on Twitter still, or X, or whatever it's called? Raise your hand if you still scroll that cesspool of a website. Okay, there's a few of us. Uh, and it definitely has become a cesspool over the last couple months. Uh, but I am still a sucker for it, because there are sometimes these gems uh, of tweets, or Xs, I'm not sure what they call posts. I don't know what they call, whatever, these, let's call them tweets that come up on Twitter still that I'm like, oh, that's why I'm here. And this week, as I was racking my brain, like, how am I going to, what's the angle I'm going to take here as we talk about this sensitive topic? I came across this tweet uh, from Adam Morris. He said, pastors should be gracious as they encourage their people to participate in church. The timing couldn't be better. Uh, understand that people are often doing their best with their circumstances. Maybe there's a reason you haven't seen them lately. Remember, it's easy, easy to be present if you're paid to be there. And I thought, wow, that is bang on the approach I need to take as we go through this series on why do we church. Now, I, I have no idea who Adam Morris is, um, but when I read that, he spoke right into my soul. Again, I'm paid to be here. This is my job. It, it's not your job. Uh, you come here on your own volition, you volunteer your Sunday mornings, you volunteer elsewhere, uh, other times throughout the week to make church happen, um, and you have that freedom to stay home uh, every single Sunday. And your reasons for doing so are varied, and they're legitimate, or they're not legitimate. But that's between you and Jesus. I don't need to get in the middle of that. Um, and so I just want, before we even like begin this conversation over the next few weeks, I just want it to be underscored with grace. That there is no judgment, there is no criticism if you're finding in your life, like, I just can't go to church, right? 
that's okay. So can we just start there? Can we just, can we just begin with that assumption that we're going to start with grace and that there's no judgment one way or the other here? Uh, because, in fact, as a, as a church, um, we are seeking to be Jesus-centered, right? And we've just gone through a series on that. And part of that means to resist drawing lines or, or setting up boundaries of, you know, good Christian versus bad Christian. These people go to church and they're good and they're faithful and God loves them more. And these people don't go to church and God doesn't. We want to we transcend that whole way of thinking as a community. So that's, I want to get that out of the way first. Um, now, I'm not sure if you've noticed or not, but there is a, a noted decrease in church attendance these days, isn't there? Uh, this is coming from the States, but over the past 25 years, so right around the beginning of the 1990s, no, the end of the 1990s, because we're in 2023 here, um, 15% of Americans, again, this is America, have stopped attending church, which is about 40 million people. 40 million people in the past 25 years have stopped going to church. Um, and that's the United Church, which, or the United States, which is a uber religious country compared to, uh, the, to, compared to us here in Canada. If you think Canada has fared any better, then first of all, you have no idea how secular we are as a society. Uh, but second of all, it hasn't. Um, this is a stat that came from uh, the Association for Canadian Studies in 2021. So right in the middle of the pandemic, they found that 67% of Canadians had never attended or never attend a religious service, which is up from 30% pre-pandemic. Now, after the pandemic, in certain denominations, there, have been, there has been a, a slight increase in church attendance. It started to creep up in some denominations. But in very few places, there are a few notable exceptions, but in very few places have we seen church numbers um, arrive back at what they were pre-pandemic. That's just not happening. Sherilyn and I have had, uh, the, over the last month or two, we've had the privilege of going through different church communities within Thunder Bay because we're looking for a new church home. And so we've been meeting uh, with different church leaders. We've been taking tours of, of their church buildings. Um, and we are getting the same message over and over and over again. In fact, this is what one leader said. He said, our community has not bounced back from COVID. And to be honest, I'm not sure we'll ever recover. I just don't see it happening. That's the reality that church after church after church is facing in our city. And uh, the, the sort of the, again, it's not every church, but it is the vast majority of churches. Attendance is low. And when I say low, I'm talking in some of these communities, 10, 15, maybe 20 people showing up. And most of those folks are of the older variety. I have to choose my words <laughs> carefully. <laughs> carefully, yeah, I know. I knew Bill's eyes were glaring on me, so I had to, I was, okay, I, they're the older vintage. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but that's sort of the demographic that is being represented in so many of the churches within Thunder Bay. And you can extrapolate that all across Canada and definitely into the United States as well. Now, there has been a seismic shift in our collective mindset as a society with regards to religion and specifically with regards to attending church. How many of you, raise your hand if you've seen that or felt that or read something to that effect over the last six months or a year? 
couple of you have. Okay, great. So I'm not the only one picking stats randomly to support a case. This is the reality. Um, now, before I go any further, I, I think it's worth us pausing here to acknowledge that church attendance is but one metric in measuring the health of a church community. Do you agree? Uh, Rachel Held Evans, who uh, wrote a book uh, that I absolutely love, and I, and I would just continue to recommend it all throughout this series, uh, called Searching for Sunday. She wrote uh, this in her book. She said, But as nearly every denomination in the United States faces declining membership and waning influence, Christians may need to get used to the idea of measuring significance by something other than money, fame, and power. No one ever said the fruit of the Spirit is relevance or impact or even revival. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The sort of stuff that, let's face it, doesn't sell very well. So for what it's worth, I try, and I'm not perfect at this, but I try not to concern myself with numbers in this community as much as I do with the overall character of our church community. So uh, not too long ago, I met with our former pastor, Steve Mills, who was the interim pastor here uh, for 18 months, and he's over at Gracie Free now. And he said something to me uh, in our conversation. He said, Steve, in my 40 years of ministering in churches across Ontario, he said, there has not been another church community that had treated me as well, that treated me and Annette as well as the grassroots church community. And when I heard that, I was more encouraged by that than if 500 people were to walk in here next Sunday morning. Amen? That spoke to me. Or yesterday when 20 people showed up at, um, at the Keller's house to give them a hand stacking wood. That kind of... Uh, that kind of action speaks volumes in terms of the character of this community, and I think that's a far more uh, accurate measure of the health of this church than how many numbers of people show up. And so I just want to say that that is, you know, the numbers question is but one metric, and it's not, I would even argue, the most important metric, but it is a metric. The trends of decreasing attendance uh, are very real. And it needs to be addressed, because even though it's not the only metric, it is notable. So why has this happened? Why have church, churches all around North America and probably the rest of the world, they didn't actually look at the data, but I'm assuming elsewhere, at least in the West, uh, why have numbers gone on a downward trend? Uh, why have numbers begun to do what one author calls uh, the great de-churching? <laughs> That's a new term that is being thrown around in, uh, in church circles, I suppose, is this great de-churching. Because it is such a colossal uh, realization, such a colossal um, trend, that it has, it's developed its own name. There was the Great Awakening, uh, the First and Second Great Awakening that happened in the church in the 1700s and 1800s. And now there's this great de-churching. So why is that happening? Well, um, <clears throat> I have come up with five, list, five, five reasons that I have observed. These are my observations. They're um, anecdotal, perhaps, you might say. Uh, but they are things that, if I'm honest, I have thought myself. Uh, and I have even used as justification 
for not attending church. And so I present these to you not, again, as a form of being critical or judgy. Um, my mama always taught me that when you point a finger at one person, you've got three more pointing back at yourself. And Jesus said, remove the speck from your own eye before you take the plank out of others. So with that said, here are five uh, reasons that I think, oh, this is yesterday at the, those who missed the, the cleanup. This is what we did yesterday. We also threw like 170 pictures on Facebook if you missed that. Um, between Trevor and I. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that was yesterday. Um, but here are five observations that I have made that contribute to the great dechurching. And I'm curious if you agree with this. The first was the pandemic, right? Uh, during the pandemic, when in-person services just wasn't an option, people stayed home. And guess what? They found that they liked it. They liked it a lot. And so that has continued. But then add to that the fact that within that pandemic, there were all of these divisive issues. There was uh, mandates and masks and, and vaccines and on and on and on. And these divisive issues caused a lot of hurt. They caused a lot of pain for a lot of church-going people. And some of that pain has not subsided. Some of that pain has not um, been able to be, some folks have not been able to heal from that yet. And therefore, they are still not coming to church because of that. That's a reality that we in Thunder Bay can feel. We in our own community have felt. Number two, church scandals. <laughs> I don't know about you, but over the last couple of years especially, it seems like all of these big names start, you know, falling from grace is the term that's being used. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but their secret sins are being found out. And some of those folks have influenced people within this community as well. And I've had a couple of conversations with people who no longer come here who, who appeal to these individuals. Guys like, let's name them, Bruxy Cavey. That was sad. Ravi Zacharias, uh, Bill Hybels, Jean Vanier. Um, I mean, there's so many. And these are people who in many cases have influenced us in our faith journeys. And when we see that these folks fall from grace, these folks can't hold it together, we, a lot of us, <clears throat> excuse me, project, oh, the church must be full of hypocrites. They're not wrong. We are. There's always room for more. Um, but this idea that we are full of hypocrites, and I don't want to be a part of that, right? And so they stop coming to church. A third reason, residential schools. So, yes, the way the church handled the residential schools to begin with, not exactly stellar, but... In the last couple of years in particular, as graves have been found uh, in different in residential schools, as the Truth and Reconciliation Report came out and there was a notable lack, perhaps, of response from churches to date about taking up those call to actions, in uh, other Indigenous issues as well, that the church just has not stepped up and done anything of notable worth uh, to respond to it. Uh, and so because of that, folks have, thanks, buddy. Look at this guy. What a servant. Um, things have been difficult, or people have used that as a reason, and it's a legitimate reason. Number four, political and social. This is maybe the biggest one, right? I mean, residential schools is kind of in this as well. Um, but this... You know, in an age of increasing polarization, Grassroots Church has sought to practice what we call this third way or a centered set approach to um, issues to, to avoid dividing over. 
but we've got a long way to go. Right? We haven't arrived yet. And in the meantime, people I find respond in one of two ways. Either they are exhausted and they feel defeated from pushing and pushing and pushing their issue that they are passionate about within the church and having no response, so they give up. Or they're witnessing the way that the church is dealing with all these political issues and social issues, and they're saying, like, man, they cannot get along. They cannot agree on anything. I'm checking out. I don't want to be a part of that. And then the fifth thing, this is practical, this is real, our busyness. We are a very busy society, plain and simple, right? Um, Our weekly schedules are just becoming too much. And so we find ourselves drowning in them. And unfortunately, going to church because it becomes the first thing that is sacrificed in order for us to be able to keep our heads above water. Now, those are my observations. And again, I present them not with any sort of judgment. Um, but I'm curious, does that resonate with you? Do those five things resonate with you? Have you thought those things yourself, not just witnessed them in others? Um, so, I would love to have a conversation this morning here about what the other reasons, what other variables are at play that cause people that you have interacted with, that you yourself have thought, to not go to church anymore. We don't have time for that. However, at 11.15 a.m. this morning, there will be a post going out on our Facebook group um, that is going to ask you this question. And I would love it if you took a few minutes today, sometime this week, go on to that post and just leave a comment. Share some of the reasons you think that folks are stop, have, have stopped coming to church. Maybe they're your thoughts. Maybe they're your reasons. Or maybe there's things you've heard. doesn't really matter. I just, I'm curious to learn more about this. We're a safe community. We can do that. Now, We agree there are no shortage of reasons to stop attending church, and admittedly, some of those are convenient excuses uh, that work for us who already might have one foot out the door, and we're just looking for that, waiting for that justification for that final push to say goodbye. But there are lots of legitimate, very good reasons to not attend church. Let's concede that. Um, I like how Andy Stanley, he always says this kind of thing when he's preaching. He's like, listen, if I walked in your shoes, if I had the experience with church that you had, if I carried the religious baggage that you carry, I would probably do the same thing, right? He has this, like, this sympathy, and I think that's important that we have. There are lots of legitimate, very good reasons to not attend church, and yet, and yet... As valid as these reasons may be, I still believe, and I think many of you would as well, that the local church still matters. That it's important. That it's still good for you. And that ultimately it's still good for the world. That Jesus' followers should do everything in their power to be partaking to be active, regular participants in the local church. That's my conviction. And that conviction is based on this premise. 
that I believe the church is God's agent of transformation, personally, culturally, and globally. Amen? So all this series that we're going to talk about is based on this premise. Why do we go to church? It starts here. Do you hold the conviction that we, the local church, is our, our God's agent, is God's agent of transformation in this world? That this is how his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and if, it, if that's true, it follows that being a participant in that church is absolutely critical for you and I as followers of Jesus. The thing is, I think that despite all of the negative justifications for dropping church, I get them, there remains a lot of very solid benefits to attending church. And that's really what this series is going to be all about. But before we go into that this morning, um, I want to just clarify what I mean when I talk about going to church. What am I getting at? So the obvious answer is, attending a service like the very one that we are all in this morning. But it's so much more than that. Believe it or not, there is no specific commandment in the New Testament that says you must go to church or you have to attend church. Jesus doesn't tell us to do this. Paul doesn't. Nowhere do we read, Beloved, once a week thou shalt attend a service in which thou shalt sing six songs not seven songs, nor shall thou sing four, five songs, unless thou also proceedeth on to the sixth song. Does anyone get that reference? What is it? No, you don't get it? Oh, it's, what is this? It's a really blurry picture, but it's the holy hand grenade from Monty Python. Oh, okay. That was a lost, lost reference. You kids are too young for this. Um, anyway, we don't see this in scripture, right? Um, but my point is, so there is no explicit command from Scripture that we have to go to church. And in fact, Christianity.com says this, and I thought this was important. When we make church attendance necessary for the Christian life or for our salvation, we twist the community of faith into a superficial body of earning and merit. And uh, I don't know about you, but we don't want that around here, I don't think. We just went through a series on Galatians um, trying to get rid of bounded thinking of lines drawing that are intended to elevate some over others based on how faithful we are in following Jesus. And uh, we just don't want to go down that trail again. So let's not think of church as this necessary thing to do to win God's favor, to, to be more valued in the community, to any of that. Let's try as best we can to transcend that thinking. This, however, doesn't mean that we can't find support for going through church, going to church throughout Scripture. In fact, I think the reason it's never instructed in the New Testament is because it's just assumed that the Christian life requires Christian community. In order to live the life, the faithful life of following Jesus, we need one another. We need to be in intentional, active community with one another. It is the how, the church is the how behind experiencing transformation of the self, of our community, 
and of the world. The church is the means of that transformation. And the scriptures seem to just assume this. So maybe instead of asking the question, do I have to go to church? The better question to ask is, can I practice my faith in isolation? And I'm not saying it can't be done, but I am saying that you don't see any examples of, in Scripture of it being done. Jesus gathered a community around him in his ministry. He lived his faith constantly in the company of others. Um, in the book of James, we see James speaking of the value of church community when he uh, casually notes that anyone who is sick should call the elders of the church to pray over them. Like that, that's just an assumed thing you do, right? And if, you're, if you are uh, sinning, you should confess your sins to each other, pray for each other within the context of Christian community. Uh, Hebrews, we read that consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Assuming that we're meeting already. It's just happening. So let's not give up on that. Acts talks about how the first disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then there's Paul. 90%, and I say 90% uh, because there's personal letters written to Philemon and Timothy that kind of don't really include, but all of it, 90% of his letters are specifically written to church communities about how do we live out this life in church or this life in community as, as followers. And so the Bible just assumes that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be a part of Christian community. So the answer to the question, do you need to go to church, is yes, no. No, your salvation is not dependent on it. God doesn't love you more if you don't go. No. But also, yes, because try as we might, faith cannot be practiced alone. It can't be practiced in isolation, not very well. Christian faith is assumed to take place within the context of community, within the context of the local church. The church is the agent of transformation in the world. It is the means in which reconciliation with the world, with each other, even with ourselves, and with creation takes place. This is the conduit of that reconciliation that God has in mind. So I guess maybe more yes than no. But then does the church need to be this? Like what we're doing here this morning. A bunch of rows facing the front listening to me go on and on and on and on. No, <laughs> it doesn't. The scripture doesn't give us specifics about what church service needs to look like. But it does, time and again, outline these sort of four uh, points about what the first Christians did. And I think this is what church needs to consist of. Church needs to consist of praying and encouraging each other in our faith, learning how to follow Jesus better. Another word for that is discipleship. Um, to meet each other's needs, things like we did yesterday, stacking wood together. Uh, remembering Jesus' death and resurrection. Those are really the four things that you see in Scripture over and over again in terms of what did the, Christian, the first Christians do together. And presumably, 2,000 years later, we should probably be trying to do the same things in our church communities. So that might beg the question, why have we at Grassroots opted to do church like this? Why have we decided to sit in rows, sing six songs, uh, listen to a message, close with communion, um, stack chairs, 
Some of that's necessary. Sorry. But why have we decided to do church in this expression and not some other expression? And I would wager, or I would propose that the reason why is convenience. That's it. It's just really convenient. Um, Let's just call it what it is. Gathering like this in this context in this way just happens to be the most convenient way of encouraging, discipling, and remembering the cross that seems to work for the majority of us. But it's not the only way. And when we insist that the church has to be done this way, or uh, when we insist that the church has to be done any specific way, that's when we venture into legalism. That's when we venture into bounded thinking, right? That's when we venture into my way is better than your way. This church is better than that church. If the expression of church uh, that grassroots practices week after week is not your jam, that's totally fine. But I also want to say, just on this note, that in your searching for the right church, be careful. Because it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, Rachel Held Evans says this, In my struggle to find church, I've often felt that if I could just find the right denomination or the right congregation, if I could just become the right person, believe the right things, then my search would be over at last. But right's got nothing to do with it. Waiting around for right will leave you waiting around forever. In other words, maybe our best posture to have in pursuing the right community is to just set the bar really low. (laughs) Like, lower our expectations. Feel free to settle a bit, if you will. (laughs) Because quite frankly, there are no right churches. And that's like, ah, and yeah, it's worth a deep sigh. Like, there isn't a perfect way to do church. There isn't a perfect church with the right theology and with the perfect amount of people. That just doesn't exist. And it's a sad reality, sure, that this side of eternity we have to embrace. Because if we don't, and we continue insisting on finding the right church, the perfect church, whatever, you're going to end up just lying in bed on Sunday mornings instead of actively, volu- or actively moving toward any church. So it comes down to this. Sorry, I'm just going to... This, this is where I messed up. Can you put like a black thing on so we don't have to keep looking at Dwight's sigh? <laughs> um, anyway, so it comes down to this. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning... And you hold to the conviction that the church, in spite of all of its misgivings, all of its shortcomings, all of its errors and mistakes historically, today, despite all of that, if you still believe that the local church remains the agent of transformation in this world, but you've started to drift, you've started to attend less, you start, maybe, you, maybe this is the first message you've heard in a long time because you're like, I don't really want to go to church anymore. Maybe that's your situation. I want to encourage you to lean in. Not because God's going to love you more. Not because you're going to be elevated in our church as a, such a faithful attender and therefore you, you must be closer to God. No. But because going, and not because going to church is ever going to be easy or even sometimes enjoyable. 
But I want to encourage you to lean in to Christian community, however that's expressed, in a regular rhythm, making it a regular rhythm of your life, because the world is broken, and it's in need of healing. And as a follower of Jesus, you and I get to be agents of that healing. We get to be, as the body of believers, the conduit from which the world is healed, from which the world is reconciled, unto Jesus. That's our calling as followers of Jesus. And it's a serious calling. And we are welcomed into that. And I'll tell you, that is a very hard thing to accomplish in isolation. Your experience will probably say the same as mine, that that is something that just isn't done easily. So this morning, I'd like to close with a quote. And this is Barbara Taylor Brown. And she was quoted actually in Searching for Sunday, but it's such a beautiful quote. Um, she succinctly actually summarizes everything that we've talked about here in this morning. In fact, we could have saved a lot of time and just read this quote. But uh, here we are at the end. We're just going to revamp it. I want you to close your eyes as I read you this quote, uh, because I think it's really beautiful and it's hopeful. And so um, let me read this to you, and then and I'll invite the band up as well. She says this, this is the church. Here she is, Lovely, irregular, sometimes sick and sometimes well. This is the body like no other that God <clears throat> excuse me, has shaped and placed in the world. Jesus lives here. This is his soul's address. There's a lot to be thankful for, all things considered. She's taken a beating, the church. Every day she meets the gates of hell and she prevails. Every day she serves, stumbles, injures, and repairs. That she is healed is an underrated miracle. That she gives birth is beyond reckoning. Maybe, maybe, it's time to make peace with her. Maybe, it's time to embrace her. Flawed. As she is. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have instituted the church to be your hands and feet, to be your conduit of grace, your conduit of transformation in this world. And some days when we look at this church, we admit that we do not see that. We see the furthest thing from that. And that has caused many of us to turn away. And I get that. God, help us to live into the calling of being the church that you have placed on us. Of being agents of change, of being agents of healing, of reconciliation. Um, Thank you for grace. Thank you for being the head of this church and demonstrating what that selfless love that we are to represent to the world, we are to display to the world, looks like. Thank you, Father, for your grace. And I pray, Father, for those in our community, those who are beyond our community, um, who are struggling to reconcile grace, or reconcile a church that they know with you and the, the, the goodness that you represent. I pray that they would 
um, give you a chance. Give this church a chance. Give any church a chance. Recognizing, Lord, that we cannot practice our faith in isolation, at least not very well. Would your spirit speak to us in the way that she, know, she needs to? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.